0: Hello, and welcome to the Best Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Uh, Dolphin Casper here with Relation Flicks Podcast. I'm really excited to have a couple of friends and colleagues on the program today. Uh, Lisa Jones and Lindsay Hammond uh, are the relationship coaches. Uh, They're just down the road from me in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, It's kind of neat. Like I I, I met them. I I actually found them online. I searched for them and found them online. I was looking for some amazing relationship coaches uh, relatively nearby my home base in Edmonton. And uh, they popped up as uh, one of the first uh, items on the search and reached out. And it's just been like... It's just been like a really fun, playful, easy friendship since we started talking and really excited to have them on the platform. I love their energy. I love the information and the sincerity of the work they do. Uh, So Lisa, Lindsay, thank you so much for making the time to join us.
1: Oh my goodness. Thank you for having us. We, We agree with everything you just said. It's been so fun. Yeah, it's such a treat. We're glad you found us and we're really glad
2: to be here today.
0: Yeah, sweet. So, you know, the relationship coaches, it's neat. There's not a lot of people that are doing this kind of work as a team. And when it is a team, it's it's oftentimes partners, you know, partners that are in an intimate relationship and then they provide coaching. And so uh, you have a, a different kind of partnership, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you two came together, how like the story of the relationship coaches and, and, and then that can kind of be the starting place for us. So yeah. How did this, how did this fun little arrangement happen?
1: It is a fun little arrangement. <laughs> right?
0: It
2: is. Yeah. So, I mean, we were both certified coaches practicing um, in our own realms of coaching. Um, I had my own practice, a Spark for Life coaching, and Lindsay was in the corporate setting yep. uh, coaching. And essentially, my life kind of fell apart um, in terms of my core relationship, my love relationship, my marriage. And so as a life coach, you know, who, and at the time I was also coaching couples, you know, that can be, that's pretty tough, right? When the thing that you do is help people with their relationships and then yours, um, is falling apart. So I ended up on Lindsay's doorstep, uh, in a puddle of tears tears one day, just saying like, how, how am I going to get through this? Like, what can I do? What's, what are the next steps? And, um, for anyone who's gone through a tough breakup, you know that that's a really challenging time. You're going through so many emotions. And, you know, I didn't just have myself to think about, but I had my three kids and it's a lot. And I, you know, both of us had been surrounded by a number of different divorces um, in our own lives and our and our families. And of course, that's the last thing that I wanted. But I also knew how dark and how ugly it could get. And so Lindsay was the one who helped me and coached me through my divorce um, and kept my sanity intact and helped me to really maintain a positive relationship with the father of my children and go through it faster than I'd ever seen anyone go through a divorce. And at the end of that six months, I turned to her and I said, like, what would I have done without you? And how are there not services like this out there Yeah, for people um, that can amicably, you know, end a relationship.
0: And and then, can can I? I just want to interject here, Lindsay. Can you share about what what you did or how how did you support Lisa through that time? Like that sounds like you did some magic there. You were in a <laughs> you were doing coaching in a corporate setting, but somehow you were able to come in and just absolutely hit the mark for Lisa. So like I'd love. I think it'd be helpful for people listening to hear a little bit about. Even your process, like what, how does how does a corporate coach approach supporting her close friend with navigating a divorce? Like, what did that look like for you, and what do you think was most helpful for Lisa?
1: Yeah, I love that. It was magic. I like to describe myself as magical.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful. Go for it.
1: (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was. It was. It did feel kind of magical, to be quite honest. Like I, I stopped working in the corporate setting, and that naturally sort of happened at the same time. So what was amazing was that I had this new project. You were my project, (laughs) Lisa. But it really was like my focus. And um, so what was my process? It was kind of like a few different pillars. One was like organizationally, like, what do we need to do here? Um, And just like coming in and taking over like paperwork and like organization and like being the person that was kind of the in-between Lisa and like your lawyers and your accountant and all those things. Mm -hmm. Because not that you can't talk to any of them, you can talk to all of them super successfully. But when your emotions are high, it's hard to have some of those conversations, right? So even just like a check-in prior to those conversations to be like, Kaylise, like, how do you want to be? How do you want to show up? And things that she already knows, but as a coach to have someone coach you makes all the difference.
0: Totally, totally. Well, just that point about, there's so much that we need to track in the moment, especially when there's big emotion going on. And just to have an external reflection to kind of help us remember, oh yeah, like I can check in about what my values are. I can check in about what I really want to get across in this conversation. I can check in about what I want to get to with the conversation I'm about to have. So simple stuff, but easily missed when something like a divorce is going on.
1: Yes, exactly. And so there was all of those types of things with external kind of service providers but then there was those same sort of things with your soon-to-be ex-husband right Mm -hmm. and the kids and being someone who knew them all really well um that was probably a pro as well or a plus as well so yeah the same sort of thing like when when emotions ran high either with kids and your your ex or even just internally right it was having that like external cheerleader the person who can like say like, okay, I actually think this is your inner critic showing up. This isn't my actual true friend, Lisa. <laughs> um, and just being able to call her out on some of those things so that she kept staying checked in and grounded. Mm-hmm. Keeping my
2: eye on the prize, I would say the biggest thing that was happening is you go down these like loopholes and you get, yeah, so emotionally attached to things that don't matter in the big picture. And you kept getting me grounded and reminding me like, hey, what really matters here? What really matters here? And that was huge. And I realized, uh, yeah, just reminding me that like what really matters is our relationships. My relationship with my kids, their relationship with their father, and my relationship going
1: forward with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And not your relationship with your best friend, Alexa. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So it's like we hear these stories from our lawyers where like couples go down these paths and spend tens of thousands of dollars fighting over a blender. So. It's, it's, yeah, being there to really check in and Lisa's, one of her very best friends was Alexa and we had to part with Alexa because she <laughs> went to the other house. Right. So, yeah, it's some of those things of just like, okay, hey, what really matters here? Yeah. Not, you know,
0: not. I, I hear you talking about perspective and and again I think big, powerful emotion is one of those things that if we haven't done a ton of work and really grounded in, yeah, like a, a kind of purpose for being, mm-hmm. big emotion takes us out of perspective and then that it's very difficult to navigate. So, so here's a question: Who approached who? Who was the one who was like, "Hey, you know what?" In terms of the relationship coaches.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know what? It was like a natural conversation. It wasn't even like a one-sided thing. We really right. did reevaluate at the end of like when when you kind of signed those papers, and you were like, "Who? Like, what do people do if they don't have?" a coach or like a best friend or someone to to be their person. Mm-hmm. And we both agreed like there isn't anyone. There was no service that wasn't a lawyer that you were paying a million dollars an hour for. Um, and so we wanted to be those people. We were kind of like we're, we saw a gap and we felt like we had the skill set and the leadership to fill it. So we went for it. Yeah. Amazing. And then somewhere along the way, things kind of changed, right? <laughs> as they do as they do we in terms helped, of well
2: we 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 started a business called the big d coaches right. um aimed at helping people transition amicably out of their relationships and we ended up saving so many relationships and connecting with people in a way again that uh, teaching them some new skills some new communication um conflict resolution and they got They realized they just didn't have those skills. It brought them closer to their partners. They stayed in their marriages. And we were like, this feels really good. Yeah. Way better than helping people exit their relationships. And so the relationship coaches was born out of that, out of the results of our coaching. And we realized, wow, that here's something even more powerful we can do. We can help people rekindle. We can help people reconnect and we can help people stay in there relationships and make them amazing
1: yeah and what was really like incredible about that dolphin was so we had come from a place of like i helped lisa through the six-month period and then we came to this place of no we enjoy keeping people together and it was it was kind of like there was some some talk in that time frame about like my own marriage too right Mm -hmm. and is this actually as good as it gets and i i I loved my marriage i love my husband um but I think that it made me realize that um, that is a natural question that a lot of people ask, right? Like, mm-hmm. is this as good as it gets? What about the grass on the other side? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, right? And you start to question a little bit. And so I think between both of us, well, Lisa coached me through a lot of that, but it also made us do a whole lot of research we otherwise wouldn't have done.
0: What kind of research? Like, what did that inspire you to look forward or discover?
1: Um, the the top
2: things that lead to um, like frustration and anger and conflict in relationships, uh, the things that help people overcome those.
1: Um, Yeah. And, and really like looking into like what is already out there, what's already out there and what has worked and what do, what do we want to do and how do we want to be different and um, trying absolutely everything out on on my own marriage. Yeah. yeah. And really, yeah,
2: tucking into those big questions of like, what is keeping people up at night in terms of the frustration that they have in their relationships? Like, what are the biggest pain points? I would say we we definitely did a lot of research on that. And and if you think about it, like all you have to do is, is look around and talk to people. And it's not just internet research. Like if you can get people talking about their relationships, that's kind of the best research yeah. that you can do. Yeah.
0: Totally, totally. I just did uh, 55 different interviews in research for a new program that I'm developing. So I, I, I totally hear it, and and I loved the process of because you know I think as coaches or people who are doing a lot of this work, we get in our own head and we think we got all the answers, and that's nice. But but there's so much more nuance when you have a, a direct conversation with a human being that's in it that that's that's in the difficulty that has the pain points that's looking for the solutions. Um, I want to get into, like, you talked about the biggest, uh, challenges people face and what, what they can do about them. So we're going to do that. Anyone listening, that's where we're going to go. But I have a question for Lisa, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, how much of a difference would having these skills have made for you in your relationship before you got divorced? Like, you know, I think one of the questions that a lot of people are faced in the midst of a difficult dynamic with their partner is, is this the right relationship for me? Mm-hmm. And then how do we discern, like, is it me? Am I part of the mess? Am I, is there more for me to pick up and handle here? Or is it just like, there's just a, a fundamental lack of alignment and and we're best to amicably separate. So like, I'm curious about your reflections on that. And and then I think that'll kind of lead us nicely into where we tend to get stuck and, and how you two can help people with that.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Dolphin. I, I definitely, looking back on it now, um, feel very strongly that if i had been taught and if i had learned or if i had yeah contacted or reached out or worked with a coach along the way that things could have been different there's absolutely no question that even though i was a coach um you know having a third party that really was able to teach us the tools on how to communicate with one another how to truly be seen and heard in our relationship um, how to overcome. That conflict, how to talk about sex and in a healthy way, where you really do feel like the other person um, is ready to hear your perspective. Yeah, I I firmly believe that those things can be learned, can be taught, and can transform your relationship.
0: Beautiful. Okay, well, w- you know, in your research, what are the what are these kind of pillar difficulties, and and maybe we can get into a little bit about why you think they're so common and then how do you how do you help people transform that stuff
1: mm-hmm. yeah so I, I think the biggest thing that it, it it kind of encompasses all of all of these things that people um, have issues with is that outside of you know people's basic me- needs being met what do they really want right and and it science has proven like we want to feel seen and and heard right and so if we're not feeling seen and heard within our relationships um, what we've seen is couples just keep having that same the same fights, right? The same fights loop. Um, conflict continues. Um, yeah, and and then when there's that repeated conflict, especially over you know the same thing, people start to question. You know, is is this it? Am I with the right person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely
2: all about communication, right? So it's how couples communicate and. Yeah, it's it's getting stuck in the same cycles over and over again, um, and not being able to get through them. Having fights that last for days is another thing. I would say is a big thing. It's sort of it's not only just that we're fighting frequently. Uh, for some people, it's only you know a couple times a year, but when it happens, when they actually do um, speak honestly and truthfully to their partner about something, they get into a fight and then they don't talk for days, and it kind of builds up we always we joke that it gets thrown under the rug and then the rug you know is at the ceiling um so yeah a lot of it is ignoring um the problems and then having like a stalemate and not being able to overcome um the problems and figure out which ones you know are solvable problems and which ones are unsolvable problems so Mm, mm. i mean you probably know this dolphin but 70% of Problems and conflicts in relationship are actually unsolvable,
0: <laughs> is- right? And so, yeah, you know, I can just hear you pointing to there are aspects of relationship that are inherently challenging, and in some cases, just they're impasses. So you're not going to get to a, a, a real resolution with those things. And so, I think that maybe there's misconceptions about that. I would say there's there's most certainly misconceptions about like the dream relationship. Like Mm -hmm. think of the fairy tales and the, and the movies and the magazines and people still read magazines. Um, uh, I'm dating myself. Um, yeah. And, and, and what do we do with all of these ideas and beliefs? And in some cases, attachments we have about how relationships should be Mm -hmm. and show up to the relationship that's in front of us. You know, that I think that's a, it's almost like an existential philosophical question, but, but maybe there's some practical ways that you support people in, in discovering that. So yeah, I'm just curious about, um, what I hear you talking about is kind of like a meta issue. It's a, it's a meta problem mm-hmm. of relationship, which is we don't feel connected to our own sense of purpose and clarity about like, what are we really here for? And then we struggle to fully and properly communicate with our partner and then with us about, well, how do we really wanna live this life in reference to that purpose? Because I feel like if we take care of those two, everything just becomes like just on the table to work with. It's like, oh yeah, we got this challenge. Oh yeah, like this unexpected thing happened or oh yeah, you did the thing and I got really mad and it's not a big deal because we know we're here. Like one of the things I love, just it sounds good coming out of my mouth and I just love what it represents, which is (laughs) can we be on the same team as our partner? Mm -hmm, And that's an alignment piece. First, you need to be aligned. Otherwise, as hard as you try, you're not really on the same team. So what are some of the more, Specific challenges that come when we're not clear about like a deeper purpose, and when we're not really aligned with our partner. Like, what are the, what are the, what are the conflicts that come up? What are the spats and the the, the wrong making that we do?
2: Uh, parenting issues, I would say, is definitely one of them. So one parent um, wants to parent their kid in a in uh, or their children in a certain way, and the other parent. Um, disagrees with that and and again instead of saying let's be on a team and do this
1: together um, there's battles over that future dreams future plans is often a big one um, some some of the questions that people don't think to ask before they get into that relationship with someone right. and
2: believe it or not a huge one is division of labor oh, division yeah. of labor in, in the home so 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 often um, couples have gotten to a place where they are, are actually fighting over, um, you know, who does more. A lot of scorekeeping happens, right? Well, you did this and so I get to do this. And so um, it truly does become about um, what's fair and what you got and, and what I should get because of that. And, and often those couples have just completely lost perspective of, um, yeah, what it's like to truly, you know, love that person and allow them to be themselves yeah. um, in that relationship. And we focus a lot on helping people rediscover who are you and you know, what are your needs and wants? Did they get lost along the way? Mm-hmm. Are you able to articulate that and express them to your partner?
0: Amazing. So I just I just have like a big smile and a nodding inside me. And I think the question that comes from me as I'm listening to you is, and I actually, I, I feel like I know the answer, but I would love to hear what you have to say. Is like, are people having those conversations as they're getting into the relationship? Like something like, how do you live? Uh, how, how how well do you take care of your space at home? And, and, I, and the truth is, is, I think we know this of each other. You know, if you don't know three or four months into your relationship that your partner is tidier or less tidy than you, You're not paying attention, right? But what do we do? We kind of like, we're like, oh, it's okay. Or, oh, they'll come around. Or I don't even know what we tell ourselves. But then five years in, we're like, this is driving me crazy. Yet, like you knew that. So like, I'm curious about your thoughts on having those initial conversations in a more maybe transparent and a more pointed way. Like instead of treating it as a peripheral thing, like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's not so tidy. That, that not so tidy over years is going to turn into a significant piece to deal with. So I would love your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that's the difference between um, all the different types of clients we get, really, because we we just love those clients who come to us and they're just so solid that they're like, we know that in the future, these things are really going to bug us and we just want your help kind of figuring out like how we're going to approach that and how we how we grow together so that that's not the case. Those are our favorite clients. And to be quite honest, like more and more we're seeing younger people come to us with that, which is pretty amazing. So they're um, asking
0: those questions. Like they're going, oh yeah, this stuff it's not
1: it's not the most common, but we've seen it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. But I, I definitely think that most people, you're right, Dolphin, I think most people haven't had those conversations early on in their relationship, and I think that you know there is such a thing as being you know in that honeymoon phase that can last up to two years where we overlook those little red flags. We don't talk about it. We convince ourselves, yes, that either either that will change in them or it won't bother me, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of this is having um, the honest conversations with ourselves yes. first, to saying you know what, like that it that is a thing that really does bug me, and so I'm going to say it now. We're going to talk about it now so that that person knows, you know, that that is a trigger for me or that is something um, that bothers me. It's how much dishonesty happens in the beginning of relationships, I think, is a big part of the problem, um, you know, down the road. Like, be honest with who you are, with what your strengths are, with what the positive things are that you're bringing to the table. Own that, fly that flag, and also look at your drawbacks. You know, we're, we're all imperfect. And I think that the people that can come into their relationship saying, "Hey, I know that this is something that I struggle with or that I deal with or that drives me bananas." Um, being able to articulate that is so important,
0: yeah, I, I absolutely love that. just just the fact that that as you as you engage a relationship, there's a conversation happening in you first. Like just for people to recognize, that if you grew up where you didn't have a, a voice, like people didn't really listen to your truth or or you got the sense that when you were honest, it didn't go well, there's going to be some hangups for you around saying how it really is for you. Mm-hmm. And then the more you avoid those spaces of like, oh, I'm really going to say it here and I don't know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Like the more we can do that, the more our relationships reflect our real values. And the less we do that, the more we find ourselves in relationships that don't. And I think that piece is just like, if people just did that, did just turn the volume up on taking care of that piece, Mm -hmm. what a difference that would make.
1: A hundred percent. And I think the reason that we don't see that is that people don't turn the volume up on it because they don't know what it is yet themselves. And they haven't done the inner work to figure out and get clear around like, what are my strengths? What are my drawbacks? What are my values even? And so that's kind of the starting point in all of our coaching relationships is the the foundational relationship, right? Relationship mm-hmm. with self and um, getting clearer around all of those things.
0: And and how do you help people do that? Like someone comes in, like one of the things I think is great in the coaching world is that someone approaches you and they're willing to like, Here, here's my money, like let's work together, they're, there's an investment there. Like they recognize something's going on and they wanna make it better. That's such a huge part of the puzzle, just them realizing that that their transformation is gonna require them to step up and and invest in something. so so once you have people that are at the table asking those questions, like how do you best support them in in shifting or improving their relationship with themselves and then, of course, with their partner?
2: Yeah, we always, yeah, in the beginning, few coaching calls, we definitely um you know we come up with a game plan. What are the goals? again, something I love about coaching is it really is about like meeting people where they're at now and, and looking to the future, paving that path to the future. So what is it that you're working towards? And then looking at also what is stopping you from getting there, right? So what are the roadblocks that you continue to, you know, butt up against? And the core work is just that figuring out what matters most to you. What do you value? So we do yeah a lot of work around what people's personal core values are and often it's quite different from what they um, thought they were or what maybe they figured out they were in a corporate setting Um, and once people get in alignment with um, their values it's way easier for them to access and be able to um, know what to say yes to and what to say no to going forward because instead of looking externally for all of their answers they have this tool in their toolbox that they can really use to assess decisions going forward. And then we get to the roadblocks.
0: <laughs> right. Is there is there any particular way you do that? Because what you just described there to me is something like helping people check their blind spots, right? It's like mm-hmm. they have a sense of themselves, but it's actually not a full picture of themselves. So they're like them in a corporate environment or even them as they relate to how they are with their partner we're all walking around with these implicit blind spots. And so is there a particular approach you have to helping people like look in a way that allows them to see what they haven't been seeing?
2: Absolutely. It's actually a multifaceted approach. So yeah, we do a number of different exercises starting from the pre-work actually, where they um, don't even know that we're collecting data. Right. So <laughs> I would say it's like reminding, mining the values. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do it in, in, it is um, there's there's a number of different approaches that we have. So yeah, we do something called like a peak experience. Um, We ask some pretty targeted questions that are sort of a backdoor into it. One of my favorites um, is finding out um, what drives you crazy, like what, what gets you going from zero to 90. So people are often way better at talking about this part, right, if you ask someone like, what do you value? What lights you up and makes you feel so alive? People often are stumped by that question, but if you ask them what drives them nuts, they're like, oh, I can tell you, I can tell you. So that's a great way to get to your values because usually the things that drive us crazy um, are directly stomping on or crushing a personal core value that we have.
0: Totally. I actually use pet peeves as a a way to kind of get into some of those dark places because a pet peeve to me is just, it's something that you have a disproportionately negative reaction to. And it's the disproportionate part that's telling you something's going on there. Like the volume's turned up there and that's telling you something about a, a deeper thing that's operating. And so like the, there's there's pet peeves and then there's attachments like what are things that you feel are not okay without? So I find those two places are really juicy places to go for us to explore like, okay, if we just start going to those places, what bothers me more than it should? What do I feel like I can't do without? And we start asking why? And we yeah. just, a why and why and why and why, like there's just gold to discover there.
1: Yeah. yeah. So three.
2: much gold. You nailed it. Yep. Yeah. Three things you don't want to live without and three things you'd like to live without cool. will get you there too, right? <laughs> Similar <laughs> to what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, we have so many of them and yeah. some of them work for some people and some of them don't, which is why we have so many. And yeah, so yeah. it really gets to be custom and, and what works for that person, right?
0: Yeah, I, I actually—it's—I'm going to bring something seemingly unrelated. I watched an interview recently with this guy named John Danaher, and he's like a—he's like one of the most brilliant minds when it comes to jujitsu. He's a jiu-jitsu coach, um, but he's also a philosopher. It's like it's clear he's like looking at things from a very deep perspective, and and he was talking about how jujitsu is an art and a science. Like there's all of this physics and geometry and leverage and timing, and it's all very very precise and, and and scientific in a way. But he said like in that, in the practice of the science, there's all sorts of space to be, be personally expressed in that you make choices about how you express that science. And I, was, that just kind of like kind of blew my mind. And I was bringing that into everything else. It's like, that's life. So there's something very deeply scientific about life, about how it works. And it's very mechanistic in that way. And then there's this spaces within which we get to really express ourselves and that's where the art is. And then relationships, Mm -hmm. what a beautiful space to get that. It's like there's principles that are just so about relationships and relating. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole space within which we get to choose how do I want to express myself here? And then that's the art. And so like the art and science of relationship, maybe that's a program I'm going to create at some point.
1: (laughs) Um, You know what? That's also coaching.
0: Yeah. Also totally.
1: coaching. Totally. Like there's the science behind it and the things that, you know, we've been taught to do and the questions we've been taught to ask. And then there's the art of it, which is where you really get to find the person that you really relate to and connect with and want to work with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So, you know, other. so what we got into was sort of a, a bigger, broader, kind of ubiquitous issue that people have which is like they don't really know themselves they're not really grounded in in what their life is really about and then they haven't really learned how to express that in a way that creates mutuality and understanding and then we got into some of the like the parenting one like i have a an almost 10 month old son and <laughs> and and me and my partner are are mostly it's clear we're on the same team and then we have these moments where like Oh, like you did that? like uh, right? <laughs> and, we, and, and and to me, it's so important. Like, how do I na- It's not about whether we're going to disagree. Mm-hmm. Forget about that. Like, you're going to disagree. How are you going to disagree? That really matters. So uh, whether you want, like, like, we can go into that. Like, how do you support people in the how of their disagreement? Uh, and if there's any other specific issues that come up in relationship that you think our listeners might be grappling with that they, that they could get some support with.
2: Yeah, let's, should we jump into the how? Like, what, what do we do when people are in conflict? Because, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, a litany of issues that we could get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's talk about how. So when people uh, come to us and realize that they're at an impasse and that the, you know, the, on every single application, communication mm-hmm. and sex, those are the two two top things, I would say. So for the, for the communication piece, which always comes first, because if, if a couple isn't communicating well, they're probably not having um they're probably also having trouble in the bedroom in one way or another and whether that's frequency or style there's going to be you know issues with both intimacy emotional intimacy is so important for physical intimacy so when a couple comes to us and we start working with them and um you know they really are trying to learn how to communicate with one another we we teach them in a way that i wish we'd all been taught Mm -hmm. um so how do you need to be prepped in order to go into that um discussion what are the things that matter most in terms of timing and you know then we teach them what to do when they're in conflict and having those discussions with their partner and a lot of the time we'll witness that on the calls with them Which makes it a lot easier to sort of break down and allow them to also reflect. Okay, what was your observation of what just happened? So they kind of get to also do a self reflection of how they argue and um, and why it ends up being such a dead end or it ends up creating more conflict.
1: Honestly, I think that's the biggest piece is the the asking the questions to create that self awareness. Just creates this like ripple effect of learning. Because there's so many things that people do that they don't even realize they do when it comes to relating to others, especially Mm. those they're closest to um, and conflict, right? Like even right down to like, what's your, what's your first and foremost, your stress response, right? Like how do you initially um, handle stress and conflict? So bringing people's awareness to things like that is, is giant. Yeah. Because then they can say, then they, then they have this language, this new language with their partner and they can say,
2: Oh, I can feel it happening. Like, you know, I'm, I'm about to shut down or run away from this conversation, you know, because I, my stress response is flight, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine a couple who had ongoing fights where one person ran away, slammed the door, threw things across the kitchen, or even just, just shut down and left the conversation. And now they know, oh, this is my, this is my fight response. This is my stress response and can articulate that to their partner or their partner can say like, I think the thing's about to happen. It seems like you're about to run away. And then they can bring humor into it. You know, they have this new language and and maybe that person then is able to to stay a little bit longer the next time. And and that increases over time.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And so for people that are are getting this information, you know, I think a question that I have, I'm always interested in kind of getting to the I like to call it the active ingredient, like what really does it. And so if you were gonna try to split People you work with into ones that really find success and ones that continue to struggle. What's the difference? Like, what what makes the difference between people that that get everything out of you and and the support you provide and ones that maybe don't?
2: Two things, okay. Um, and we've already said them: ability to self-reflect. Mm. If you're coming into any type of coaching, therapy, help, you name it, and all you're going to do is point the finger and blame. Your partner you're not going to get anywhere so someone that can look themselves in the mirror and say oh wow yeah I do do that I get defensive don't I okay hmm. what can, you know so curiosity um, ability to to self-reflect and I added one the third one is commitment <laughs> okay so that was mine yeah commitment
1: to the process commitment to each other um, you have to really want it. You have to really want it. That was the one I was gonna pick was commitment to to the process, commitment to creating a better life, to creating transformation, to creating the best relationships that you can have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, lovely. I love seeing like so much of what you're saying. I don't use the same words, but but like how I how I work with people is similar in a lot of ways because I'm I'm always thinking with people about how honest are you willing to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah and how willing are you to follow through on on the truth you find in that honesty like those two things to me are just absolute cornerstones to success in any area of life and none more so than relationship because if we can't come to terms with what's really going on in us then then our voice doesn't have our truth in it our, our voice doesn't have our deepest desires in it and then we're not first in a relationship that that has you know what we what matters most to us and then if we can't follow through or if we're not willing to follow through on what's hard about our truth, um, yeah, we'll just leave things unsaid. We'll leave things unaddressed. And, and to me, that's that's the long-term death of a relationship is not consistently handling that kind of honesty and then that kind of follow through.
1: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. absolutely. And those are the, the two things that happen with the, with the clients that are unsuccessful, I would say, is exactly that. They aren't able to Aren't willing or able to face their truth, and and yeah, and get to the point in the coaching where where they actually are going to have to follow through um, on doing the work, and and you you definitely you see it happen, um, you know. Occasionally, where people are just like not willing to go there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, I have a, a funny question that's just arising in me, and so <laughs> just feel free to answer however it comes. Yeah, the, the divorce rate, I think, is still somewhere around 50% over the lifetime of a marriage. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, and this is something I think about quite a bit. What percentages of relationships do you think that don't make it could make it?
2: Oh, I love that. I love that, too. The like, first thing maybe. that popped into my head is like half of those.
0: Okay. So half of the half. So of the half people of the that half. get divorced, half yeah. of those could make it if they really...
2: If they had the help
0: they were if they were there they really were sincere and they had the right kind of support.
2: Yeah, were able to look in the mirror and say yes, I am flawed and I'm willing to look at those flaws and and try to improve on them and be honest, like you said.
0: Lindsay?
1: This is so hard. My <laughs> mind is going in like a thousand places. It's like how can you possibly pick a number? Yeah. Um there's so many factors here, but yeah, I think I think probably 50% is roughly right and I think the ones that um are not in those fifty percent are the ones who just will never have the ability or I shouldn't say never, but will have a lot of difficulty doing that self reflection piece and really being able to look honestly and truthfully at themselves. There's tons of yeah, there's tons of reasons
2: beyond that 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 couples shouldn't be together, right? Of course and yeah. What's your number, Dolphin?
0: (laughs) It's way higher. Um, Uh but 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 I think that my, my number, which is something in the 90%, 90%. <laughs> um, I have a, like, I'm a weirdo. I have a particular way of looking at all this stuff. Um, but, but I think the question that comes from the difference, like that you two say 50 and I say, 90, Like of course we're just abstracting here. We're just sort of thinking mm-hmm. aloud, but, um, what, what's the difference between couples that can make something hard work and what, like what's the real distinction there is it that there are true uh, unsolvable non-negotiable pieces at play or is it that there's just a a threshold within each or both of these individuals that they're just like i'm not going to go there they could go there but they've just decided they're not going to you know i think that's that domain of like i think it that question to me touches us into how much we're really capable of as human beings, like what we're willing to transcend, or what we're able to transcend and really sort out together, is staggering. Mm-hmm. And I think we grew up in a pretty, a pretty utopian, kind of easeful, immature culture. You know what I mean? Like, like the number of people that had to like fend for their life to survive, which was the reality for human beings throughout history until, you know, ten thousand years ago. Um, most people don't have to face that kind of difficulty, and so we we kind of kind of grew up it's like hey, it's all pretty comfortable. I go down to the store; it's got everything I want, you know. Like, and I'm being a little bit silly, but but I think there's a there's a kind of when I think about the full spectrum of how mature a human being can get, mm-hmm. and where most of us are, there's so much room for us to grow into. And I think some of the attributes of what we can grow into enables us to navigate these difficulties. Where I think we would get closer to ninety something percent versus fifty, and that's just my my thought.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think there's 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 something to that. In that, when you look at the statistics for second and third marriages, they are increasingly higher. So to me, a little bit of that speaks to yeah, people that aren't willing to um, yeah sort of do do the work and and deal with some of their maybe past issues that they haven't really addressed so they're always just continuing to point the finger and blame you know the next partner for their misgivings or shortcomings um but i would also say to your piece on um the perpetual or unsolvable problems um like so my belief is that all relationships have those that there that there isn't relationships that like don't have them and relationships that do and that's this you know success or unsuccess I believe that all relationships have unsolvable problems, but again, it's the how. How do you handle and how do you deal with those um, perpetual problems or unsolvable problems that is the difference between the couples that stay together and the couples that don't?
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful point. And, and to me, it's it's something connected to how do we make sense of the meaning of those unsolvable or irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. I think a, a difference or a difficulty can be the 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 kind of unraveling of a relationship but i don't think that's objectively true i think how that couple makes sense of that unsolvable issue is is the main piece and, and so then again we're back to the how like how, how do we show up how do we communicate how do we ask questions how do we increase our self-reflective uh kind of orientation yeah super super important yeah what else what else do you want to talk about
2: talk to you all day dolphin.
0: Yeah. Okay, sure. Well, we only have an hour now, but (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so to me, you know, I think, I think what comes next is uh, for people listening, I think we've, we've covered some territory and I would love some more like really simple kind of practical pieces. Like maybe we can kind of do like an anecdotal or kind of case study conversation where we just pick a circumstance that's common in our practice, coaching or supporting people and, and maybe point out some of the details that might be illuminating for people and then give some like, Hey, if this person was in front of me as a client, here's probably what I would encourage them to try. And hopefully we can just give people some more tools for their tool belt going away. Great. Yeah. So, so do you, are there any, um, you know, we talked actually, so at the beginning you said there's sort of three main areas. There was raising the kids, there was housework and sort of labor, labor distribution. What was mm-hmm. the third one? Do you remember the third one?
2: Um, Conflict, not getting through conflict. Um, okay. Sex, statuses, finances, and family stuff too. Like I would say in-laws and
0: stuff. What like. people think of the vaccine.
2: <laughs> 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 Definitely a hot topic. Yeah, that actually has <laughs> been as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's pick one and let's create a case study and then let's jam on it.
2: Great, okay.
0: Which of those um, four or five that let, you just mentioned feels Let's talk just- about
2: sex. That's always okay. gonna be my number
0: one choice. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just imagine a couple and they're struggling with sex. What's the what's the background of the difficulty? Like what 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 are they what's going on and what's underneath what's going on?
2: Okay, so let's say the couple is um I would say a very frequent um topic that we have coming to us is like um, a difference in in frequency and how often they would like to be having sex, um, as well as maybe the variety or type of sex that they're having. So frequency and variety,
0: right? Okay, is
2: it, let's say that's the thing they're coming to us about.
0: Got you. Is there a is there a kind of common distribution? Like, is it usually the man wanting more sex and the woman not? Is the is the woman wanting more variety and the man like? Is are there I, I, do you work mostly with heterosexual couples? Like,
2: We do. Yeah, yeah. mostly. Yeah, yeah, mostly mostly with heterosexual couples. So, and I, I'm finding actually more and more um, that some of the tradition traps that we fall into and stereotypes that we fall into are um, not always the case. So I would say recently it's been 50-50 in terms of um, women saying, you know what, I really just want to have more sex with my partner uh, and about fifty percent of the time, I would say it's the it's the men, if we're talking heterosexual relationships, saying, you know, I, I really wish that we had a more active and engaged sex life.
0: Cool. And are there are there kind of commonalities that you see? Like you mentioned earlier, if the communication isn't there, there's probably going to be trouble in the bedroom. Um, any specifics around what kind of difficulties a couple is having in communication that leads to trouble in the bedroom? Like to get a little bit more granular.
2: Yeah, sure. But Let's. Let's go with the stereotype if we're we're going (laughs) to get granular. Let's go with the stereotype. So the woman comes in and she says, you know, I don't feel close and connected to my partner emotionally. And so I don't want to just drop my pants and get it on at the end of the day. And the male partner may say something like, I have no problem doing that. And I want to get more close and connected emotionally with you after
0: we've been physically close
2: and we've had sex. So a lot of, I would say that that's a common
1: scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Super common.
0: Yeah. And then what would you say, like, if you were going to kind of peel back a layer or two on each of them, like, why is that dynamic playing out in their relationship?
1: So, well, a million reasons <laughs> could could be the case. Um, um,
2: so the reasons they would give would be, um, you know, uh, we're stressed, we're busy, we don't have time. Um, you know, we don't have, we don't connect. A lot of the time it's work related or or kids or life. And so a lot of, there's a lot of blame being thrown at like in, ex- extraneous things of like why they don't feel close and connected. Um, and not a ton of, again, reflecting on what they could be doing to help resolve the problem that they're, that they're coming with. Right. right. So say it's, say it's the, you know, it's the female partner that's saying, you know, I don't feel close and connected um, to my partner. And often I'll say, okay, so, you know, when was the last time you organized some quality time? We figure out their love languages and they're like, mine's quality time. I just feel close and connected when we spend time together. And I'm like, hey, when was the last time you guys did that? And they're like, um, uh, six months ago when we went away somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) For the weekend, you know, it's been tough COVID, right? So uh, yeah, so you get a lot of excuses and a lot of like, I just want to feel, you know, they, they know part of what they want, but they also sort of haven't really talked about how what the solution might be.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: exactly. And even and if the, they've known they
2: haven't done it.
1: Yes. And those excuses often is lead us to those conversations around communication. And that can often, it, it gives us a window in. But I think if we're going to go with the stereotype, then we start to see a lot of judgment, some blame. Well, it's your fault. We're not doing this, um, and, and so that can that can help us dive into, yeah. How how do you um, deal with judgment in a relationship, and and what do you do if you're always blaming, you know, your partner? Um, and one of those pieces, one of the things we bring in for people is is just curiosity, which sounds simple but can be so huge.
0: Uh, to me, the 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 greatest answers are always simple, mm-hmm. and. and- because of the simplicity, they're able to kind of move into complexity all over the place, right? Like if, if if everything is complex and your solution is complex, then there's only, there's very, very few ways that complexity can kind of interact. But simple solutions, they go everywhere. That's yeah. One of the things I love about that. So here's something that is just coming to me as we speak. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what works for this couple. Like what's gonna turn that around, that dynamic? And then then I would love to do some kind of reverse engineering and help people make sense maybe a little bit more about what was actually operating under the surface. So you kind of mentioned about how, you know, they haven't kind of made time over six months and they're busy and all of those reasons slash excuses, which aren't really it. None of those are the reason it hasn't been happening. The reason it hasn't been happening is they haven't made it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're using these specific details to kind of justify why they haven't made it happen. Um, so yeah, tell me for that couple, what's going to, how like you've talked broadly, but what more specifically might you do with that couple to help them kind of get it, so to speak? And then what sorts of practices or, or approaches that would help them start to turn their, their love life around?
1: Yeah. So like you said, I think what they've been doing is pressing the easy button. Um, and so there's a conversation around, you know, what does it take to make a relationship work? And relationships do take work. They're not, they're not easy. They're not the easy button. Relationships can be hard. They do take work. So, there's a lot of conversation around that. And then, some clarity around what do you really want your relationship to look like? Um, and that work is done individually, but then it's also done together. And a lot of that is through talk, some homework, some exercises. And once there's clarity around, like, what do we want our relationship to look like? Then, there's a piece around commitment. And so, uh, we also have some exercises around committing to what we want this relationship to look like. Um, and I think that often if if they, if a couple has left things for so long, then that is a big piece that's missing is just a commitment to putting the relationship first and prioritizing it. Um, So yeah. And then throughout that, throughout that, so once there's a commitment to making that relationship work, we get into the more granular things. So um, let's talk about how, how you, talk to one another how you fight with one another um what's working what isn't and giving some really specific tools around like what if you tried to say things this way um and one of like so some something we might do is is asking a couple not to use the word you in their next conversation so um we're not going to allow them to start a sentence with the word you um, because that puts people really on the defensive and that's one tiny thing can be really life-changing for people in their conversations yeah what's another one um we yeah we definitely get them talking
2: about their love languages how do you want to receive love from your partner a lot of the time couples are just giving um the person the love language they want to receive so in this couple that we're talking about maybe the um male partner is is really wants to receive physical touch and so that's what he's using as his way to get close to his partner And so a lot of it is her just being able to learn um, through our coaching process. Like, oh, you know what? Like, I really like physical touch, too, but I want to have that quality time first. And then he's figured out, okay, if I organize, you know, some one on one time with my partner, her needs are going to get met. She's going to feel seen and heard. And then chances are my needs are going to get met, too. So teaching to kind of learn more about the other person and put them first. It's also we also introduce conversations around. When we talk about like sex and sexuality, so many couples haven't really actually ever talked about like what it is that turns them on and what it is that turns them off.
1: Mm. And
2: again, this isn't a conversation that people typically have with one another. And so we teach them the dual control model of accelerator and brakes. What are the things that accelerate your turn on and your attraction to your partner and recognizing that at the same time, that's why it's dual control, right? The brakes can be going at the same time as the accelerator. And there could be one thing like they, you know, changed the lighting or the music turned off or, or like some sort of smell or the children are right next door. You never know what are the brakes and the brakes can be so much stronger mm. than the accelerator. And couples haven't talked about this. so now they learn, oh, okay, so it's really, you know, a break for you if, yeah, if there's other people, nearby or it's an accelerator for you if we open the blinds and there's a chance that someone might see, you're right? Like couples haven't I, ever had those conversations and they often get surprised by each other's answers.
0: In right. That. Yeah. I, I love that. I love the brake accelerator analogy. Um, I think it's so important that we recognize that like the, the attraction we have for one another is, is, is in large part a representation of what they mean to us. And so if if my interaction with my partner for the last six months has been a lot of kind of bickering and arguing and conflict. And over time, then the partner represents a place I don't want to go mm-hmm. partner represents a conversation I don't want to have. There's a kind of leaning away from or a desire to control. And of course that neither of those are conducive to authentic sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I love the simplicity and that kind of straightforwardness of that. Um, yeah, one of the things that I think is so great about how you two work and 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 just what you're saying right now is that as people kind of tune into what they're what matters to them and they make commitments for it, the rest becomes sort of academic. It's like you know you, you can do all sorts of different things that will help so long as you're clear and you're committed. Mm-hmm. But if you're not clear and not committed and you do the best things, it's not going to happen. so so I love that Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say Um, Mm -hmm. yeah in regards to people who are are kind of navigating a kind of distance it's not it's also not about just doing what our partner wants us to Mm -hmm. right I think this is where it it becomes much more challenging and complex it's like the love languages piece which I totally get and understand and, and a lot of couples that I've talked to have been like Wow. And we discovered that it was such a huge deal for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then there's also the place where our preferences, our attractions, our sexual kind of proclivities aren't necessarily the best thing. And so I think there's a, like, I'm kind of like casting ahead for people around like the next step. Once you start mm-hmm. to create more cohesion and joy and love in your sexuality uh, and your relationship, there's also the conversation around like my job isn't just to try to serve my partners immediate needs there's also this dimension of like what does growth mean what is us growing out of old habits and old old attachments that we actually don't need anymore so you know i just i love i love the simplicity i love the practicality and i also love how deep this stuff goes like yeah. how how far we and, can reach into
2: and when the couples are are ready to yeah that's we exactly what we jump into is what What is your shared, what are your shared core values, right? So they've done the work in the beginning on their personal ones. And I agree with you, just giving someone what they need um, or what they say they need isn't enough. It's like, what is the thing that you're co-creating? And so that would be the advanced level of where we get to with our clients is what is the dream that you have for your relationship going forward? What are the values you have that are aligned? In terms of how you want to be together, how you want to vacation, how you want to interact with each other's families, how you want to parent—you um, know—the thing, how you want to run your house, all those things. What, where are you aligned, and where can you grow from those little alignments, as opposed to focusing so much on all the places that you're not aligned?
0: Yeah, yeah, I love the one of my favorite metaphors is is a garden. You know, our life is a garden, and when we step into partnership. We bring our plots, of, our plots of land together and now we're, we're co-gardeners or we're creating the <laughs> garden together. Mm-hmm. And, and what I hear in everything that you two have been saying so far is like, am I clear why I want to garden here? Mm-hmm. And with this person, am, am I clear about the kind of garden we want to create together? Mm-hmm. And if I get clear about that and how much that means to me, then it's like, okay, well, how do we do that? With that awareness, I can now go, oh, like these things that we've been doing for the last couple of years, like those don't really support the garden we want to create together.
2: Yeah. So, so don't I, really grow well in Calgary, right? It's,
1: yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like figuring out exactly what are the things we've been trying
2: to plant that we don't
1: even really care about. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back to your earlier point, Dolphin, then you start to be able to, to come together as a team.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I feel like that's such a lovely kind of completion point, um, it's been a pleasure. I knew it would be. Uh, we'll do it again for sure. Anything you want to say, either of you, to kind of complete the conversation? And and then I would love for you to share a bit about where people can find you. And and of course, uh, with Relation and, and with what we're up to, um, we'll be kind of interacting and, and connecting with Lisa and Lindsay again.
2: Um, yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, one thing yeah, that I'd love to just end on is like, what we're all about and why we do what we do is because we we truly believe that quality and connected relationships are possible and we see how much um, turmoil in relationships affects all aspects of everyone's life so our why is truly founded in yeah in this belief that quality relationships do lead to lasting happiness and a fulfilled life And that's the thing that gets us going every single day. We're on a mission to help people create those quality lives. So thank you so much for listening.
1: Mm. And Vince, did you want to add anything? No, I think you nailed it. That was awesome. Um, Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening. It was perfect. And you can find us, of course, on Relationflix um, and also on Instagram at the Relationship Coaches and uh, on our website, relationshipsareverything.com.
0: And that's R, the letter, not the word, yeah? Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: Thanks for knowing.
0: <laughs> I checked you out.
1: <laughs>
0: cool. Well, Lisa, Lindsay, thanks again. Uh, so enjoyable. I look forward to doing it again. And until then, be well. You too. Thanks, Dolphin. Thanks, Dolphin. Thanks, everybody. You have been watching the Best Relationship Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can also go and check out so much more content about relationships over at relationflix.com. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I can't wait to share more with you as we go. And until next time, love well.